Hello, Longview Point. If you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to Micah chapter 6. And I can tell you, it is awe-inspiring how God orchestrates the passages that we are to study with the things that are going on in the world around us. I had no clue about Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor or George Floyd a few months ago when the Lord led me to lead this study in the book of Micah. Uh, over this time, but here we are tonight in a passage of scripture that is about justice, that is the culmination of this book and what some scholars have even said is the one-line summary of the Old Testament and the law and how to have practical religion, how to live out your faith based off of the Old Testament text. And, and that's where we are tonight. And so God has brought us to this place to study his word, to hear what he has for us, even amongst all the circumstances, the situations that are going on in the world around us, we can learn from the truth of His Word and apply it to our hearts and to our lives and be salt and light in our community today. And that's where we are. So, like I said, Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and we're really going to focus in on the, the Lord and what He has for us here. This is what it says in verse 1. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you, enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against His people, and He will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from Siddim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what? Shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with the calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. As we look at this text, once again, Micah is using the example of a courtroom. We saw that in chapters 3 and 4. There they're putting on trial the leaders of Israel. They have led them astray. They have neglected the, the people there. They have taken advantage of the oppressed. And now instead of just the leaders of Israel, God is coming, and this case would be entitled Yahweh versus Israel. It is the nation as a whole. It is His people who have rebelled against Him, who have trampled on uh, the people and on what the Lord has commanded of them. But there is a difference in this text. As you read this text, there is some words here that help us to hear the fatherly compassion of God that He is not coming with an indictment of, of punishment and wanting to bring wrath. Instead, He is coming in this situation as a father comes to his child out of compassion. Listen to verse 3, the way that He starts it. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. 
And then verse five, oh my people. There is this constant reminder throughout this passage of this covenant love that God has for his people. He is not neglecting his people. He's not writing them off. He's not neglecting them. He is coming because he loves them and he cares for them and he wants what is good for them. And that is for them to keep their side of the covenant as well, for them to live out what they say they believe, that they are not hiding behind empty acts, but that they are passionately living for the Lord, walking with Him. As He sets up this trial, He sets up the mountains and the hills as the witnesses. The Lord is the plaintiff. Israel is the defendant. The creation is witness to how God has demonstrated His love for Israel over and over and over again. And he walks them through his goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy, his love that he has shown throughout Israel's history. And as you read this and you think about this, think about the things that God has done in your life to demonstrate his love, his faithfulness, his mercy, his grace to every single one of us who have a relationship with him. Because he's done that. Here are moments in history as you read through it. Uh, verses three through five. Verse 3, he asks these questions, and Israel doesn't answer. It's an awkward silence even there of waiting for an answer. So God actually gives this answer. He says, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, O oh, my people, remember what Balak king of Moab devised and what Balaam son of Beor answered him and what happened from Siddim to Gilgal that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. He walks them through and says, look, you were slaves in a land that was much more powerful than you. But I delivered you from that slavery. I delivered you from the Egyptians. I not only redeemed you, bought you with a price to bring you out of there, but I sent you leaders that, that would lead you into what it means to follow after me. Moses, uh, Aaron, Miriam, these were good leaders. And even when Balak tried to get Balaam to curse you, I didn't let that happen. Instead, I blessed you and gave you entrance into the promised land. A land that you could not have taken with your own power, with your own might. But I, as your Lord and your King, gave you that land. You see, he has demonstrated his love for Israel over and over again. And he's demonstrated his love for us over and over again, we can trust his faithfulness, his goodness, his love, his, his mercy that he's poured out in our lives. Israel finally does respond. 
they, they, they finally speak up, but unfortunately they are not responding in the way that, that is good. They, they ask these questions, and these questions may seem like they're asking from a good place, but, but they're outwardly asking these questions, but inwardly you can tell by their, their response that their hearts are far from God. They are angry. They are Honestly, they're like teenagers that are being rebellious. When, when the parent tells them, hey, this is what you need to do, maybe you need to go feed the dog, and, and the teenager's mumbling under their breath as they go of, I have to do everything around here. There's so much that I have to do. There's no way I can please you. That is the response of Israel right here. I know none of our teenagers are like that in our youth group, but I'm, I'm you know, speaking of uh, another example. They're trying to complain. They're complaining about what God is saying here, about the charges that he has against them. This is what they say. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? See, it sounds like it's a good question, but listen to the way that they kind of escalate their responses. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You see, they get to where these requests are absolutely absurd. They're trying to buy God's favor. Okay, God, if you're angry with us, if you have wrath, if you're saying that we're not following after you, then what does it cost me to make things right? Okay, so do I just need to come before you and, and just bow down? Do I just need to give you a calf that's a year old? Like Their sacrifices at first are actually things that were given to them to sacrifice earlier in the Old Testament. But they get frustrated and you hear it building to where they're even offering their firstborn as payment for their sin. That is not what God is asking of us. That is what the pagan gods asked of their followers. That's why it was such a big deal that Ahaz and um, Manasseh, they sacrificed their son to Molech, this false god. But they're building this up and there's this anger and this frustration and and they're trying to bribe God so that his wrath doesn't come down on them. They think that he can be bought. They think that he is unjust just like they are. That they can do these certain things and, and pay a certain amount in order to get out from under it. But their options are absurd. They fail to realize the character and the goodness of God, and they've forgotten what He does require of them. You see, they act ignorant with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high. They they act like they don't know, but throughout Scripture, they had been told what is required of them. They don't have an excuse. The reason why I say that is look at the beginning of verse 8. At the beginning of verse 8, Michael lays it very clearly. He has told you, O man. There is no excuse of ignorance. The people knew what God wanted from them. They were choosing to rebel. So many times we read scripture and we know what God is telling us to do. We hear his voice. We know his character. 
and we may come and we may go through all the motions of worshiping Him. We can't wait to be in this room on Sunday morning worshiping together. But maybe even we're faithful in spending time in God's Word and faithful in spending time in prayer. But we're not letting it impact the rest of our lives. They wanted a simple act of worship to take, to, to take the place of giving their whole life in worship to God. And we can't have that mindset. Honestly, that was the mindset of the Pharisees. As you look at Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, flipping over there, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees. This is one of the woe statements there towards them. And in it, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. You see, God has called us to action. God has called us to living our life in faithfulness and justice and for the good of others. We're not called to empty motions or, or just having our relationship with God take place in this room or in our time alone with Him. It impacts every aspect of our lives. And this is the verse. This is the verse that, that comes up after that, that, that wraps it all up. The summary of the Old Testament law comes in verse 8. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Now, as you look at that, you think that's a preacher's dream. It's like point one, point two, point three. But these three things are all interconnected together. They are not meant to be separated. They are not independent of one another. They are all woven into a beautiful tapestry of what our entire life needs to be about. It starts, actually, that we walk with God. That is the vertical aspect of these three things, that we are humbly walking with Him, that we are seeking to, to live as Jesus lived, that we're identifying with Him. It's really fascinating to me, as you look through ancient history, as you look through mythology, the, the king or the gods, the, you know, the ancient gods, they identified with the powerful, with the elite, with the kings. They had this position up above everything. But there's something incredibly different about Christ. Christ comes and he's not coming as this mighty king reigning from a gold throne in all this comfort and pomp and circumstance. No, Christ comes and he identifies with the poor and the oppressed. Think about his life with me. Think about who he was. Walk through the Gospels, starting from the very beginning. Where was he born? He was born in a manger because there was no room in an inn. He's born in this humble stable. And then his parents, they, they give an offering for him. And the offering shows that they are of the poorest of the poor because all they give is two pigeons. And that's set aside as an offering for the impoverished. 
I think about how as he is calling people to follow him, he says, look, the, the birds have nests and foxes have holes, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He was homeless, wandering from place to place, teaching, healing the sick, the poor, dining with the tax collectors and the sinners. Even at the end of his life, even at the end of his life, what does he tell them to do? He sends them into town. They borrow a donkey, not even his own. They borrow an upper room for the Passover meal, not his house. And after he's crucified on the cross, he borrows an empty tomb. You see, he identifies with the poor and the oppressed. Even on the cross, the soldiers take away his last possessions. Not only that, he was illegally tried and unjustly convicted to even send him to the cross. You see, that is the God that we serve. That is the Savior who we are claiming that we are walking humbly with in this passage. It is a Christ who identifies with the poor, with the downtrodden, with those who were in need. But he saw those people and saw the value and the dignity in every single one of them. They were image bearers of God. They were people with eternal souls that he was calling to himself. Didn't matter the color of their skin. Didn't matter the economic status that they had. Didn't matter that they could bring nothing to him. But Christ identified with them. He entered into their world. And that is the God who we walk with, walking humbly with our God. But we're called there to walk humbly with God and then to do justice, to do justice. Justice is mentioned over 200 times in the Old Testament, and many times it includes the quartet of the vulnerable, widows, orphans, immigrants, and poor. You see, what justice really is, it is entering in on behalf of the oppressed to seek their good. As Christians, we should long for the flourishing of every single image bearer of God. We should want them to be flourishing in their relationships. We should be wanting them to be flourishing in their economics. We should be wanting them to be flourishing spiritually. But it's a whole person that we should be longing to see them doing well. Poverty, pain, societal breakdown should break our hearts and lead us to mourning and lamenting over the state of our cities, over the state of our country. He has called us to enter in on the behalf of the oppressed. Many of us have a, a special standing to where we can enter in. I think about going to the hospital after someone has just passed away and ministering with a the family there. Entering into that room, it is heavy. But we enter in with compassion and caring 
for the people in that room. You see, that is rooted in the character of God. I think about Psalm uh, 33, verse 5. It says this. Start in verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. You see, that is his character, that he loves righteousness and justice. It is rooted in his love. And he is perfectly just because of that. That brings us to our, our last point here. We walk humbly with God and that leads us to do justice, but the, the intentions of our heart matter as we do justice. Like our actions need to be driven for a love for our neighbor. That that is it. As you look at the kindness there in verse 8, it says to do justice, to love kindness. That's one that's actually translated differently in different places. It talks about loving kindness. It talks about mercy. Here it says love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. We are called to love our neighbor. That is the reason why we step in and seek justice in the world that we're living in. We're wanting their flourishing. It doesn't matter if, if our neighbor, I, I think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? It doesn't matter that the Samaritan looked different than the Jewish person. There was, and Jesus knew what he was saying when he gave that parable. But he is calling us to a kindness out of love because of the love that we've been given in Christ. Think about the great love, the grace, all those things that we talked about in these earlier verses, how God has demonstrated those things to us. Now we get to demonstrate it to others. Like I said, we want their flourishing. So college students, build relationships with international students. High school students, build relationships with people who don't look like you, with people who may not have all the means that you have. It is so easy to get wrapped up with people who look like us, who have the same interest as us, who can do all the things that we like to do. But God calls us to break down those walls and to care and love people that are different than us. Maybe you're a teacher. We have some very talented teachers in, in our congregation here. What if God is calling you to leave the, the great districts that we have and actually serve in districts that have less resources and have more people in critical need? Maybe God is calling you to use your gifts in a completely different way than what we're comfortable with. Maybe we have lawyers who are, can represent people who have suffered injustice. And I know we have police who demonstrate their love for the community that they serve. Businessmen and women who are using their talents and their gifts to further the gospel and to help other people succeed as well. You see, as we take a love for our neighbor, as we take loving kindness, as we seek to do justice, we take the gospel with us in our heart and on our lips and we can make eternal impacts for people. But as you notice, justice and loving kindness, those things require us to enter in 
to a relationship with others. You can't love someone you don't know. And so we need to be intentional in building those relationships. We need to be intentional to listen to why they're hurting. We need to be present. Be humble, willing to learn. Not prideful thinking that we have all the answers. Not prideful thinking that we are, are the great saviors or anything like that. No, we serve a great savior. And he's equipped us and he's called us to do his work here on earth, to do that justice and to do it out of loving kindness. And so we need to be faithful to serving him. There's so much tension in, in, our, in our country right now. And I want to echo a question that a friend of mine asked when was the last time you had someone who didn't look like you? Maybe had different viewpoints of you sitting at your dinner table. When was the last time that we had genuine conversations and relationships with people who were not just like us? God has called us to something greater. God has called us to a mindset outside of ourselves. He has called us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. And so if we're walking humbly with Him, it's not just about the songs we sing. It's not just about great um, preaching or studying of God's Word. No, if we are to walk humbly with God, then we are going to genuinely care for the people around us. The Old Testament lays that out for us. The New Testament lays that out for us. We are called to be salt and light in the places that God has placed us. And so how can you do that today? How can you make a difference for those who are oppressed, those who are poor, those who are in need what has God given you that you can sacrificially give for the betterment of others so that each person, each image bearer, each person that is eternal soul can have flourishing, can be experience the goodness that we have to offer through Christ. God has equipped us for every good work. And so my challenge is for us to go out and to do it. To be His hands, be His feet, to do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with Him. So that's my point. If we're truly walking with God, we want to be instruments of love and justice in our community and in our country. So I have questions for you to help wrap it up. Who can you invite in your home that may not look like you, may not think like you? Maybe it is an orphan. Maybe it is someone in foster care. Maybe it's a friend that, maybe, maybe it's a new friend that you can make. But who can you invite into your home and build those relationships with them? Question number two, what is a way 
that you can use your talents, gifts, finances for those who are hurting? What can you do to make a difference? I know we're about to get busy. I know baseball is starting back up. I know all the other things that are going on, they're about to kick back up. But what can you do to be intentional with a sacrificial love for others to seek justice? Number three, is there a sin towards your neighbor that you need to repent of? Maybe it's a mindset that you have of people who uh, look different than you. Maybe it's um, something you've said, a joke you've made, or um, whatever it may be. What is God laying on your heart that has not demonstrated a genuine loving kindness towards that image bearer of God? What is it that we need to repent of? A sin in our life, in our mind, in our heart, from our mouths, from our actions, whatever it may be that we need to repent of. And my last question is, does your, your relationship with God impact your whole life or are you just going through the motions? You see, He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. And we have to submit ourselves to the King. He tells us what is required of us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. It's beautiful, the personal part of that at the very end, that we are to walk humbly with your God. That's my prayer today. If you will, after you take the time to answer those questions, take time to pray for our country and the churches within it too. Because we want to see justice. We want to see loving kindness. And we want to see the gospel going forth. Let's pray now. Father God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the mission that you've given us, that we are to live this out for your glory. Father, I know that there are many people uh, that are hurting, that are, are suffering right now, Lord. Father, I pray that we as a church will be compassionate, that we will be listening to what is going on, that we'll be learners, Lord. That, Father, as we love people, we will seek they're good, even if it cost us as well. Father, you are so good. We thank you for the gift of eternal life. We thank you that you sent Christ down to earth to, to live a life, a perfect life, caring for all of us, those of us who need you. So, Father, help us to be your salt, your light, and make an impact for your kingdom right where we are. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.